0: Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. We need to be a church that loves God deeply and people passionately. We need to be a church who understands the Bible, more specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation, and how it pertains to us in our everyday lives. Today, we are going to be talking about how it pertains to us in our everyday lives, and not, not as a whole, but as a segment, and I'm going to try and uh, lead us there without um, bringing baggage that comes with the word that I'm going to uh, use today. So I, I titled it resistance, uh, because we are probably going to resist part of, the, uh, of it, but um, also, because it's just a cool word, and so uh, if you're from the X generation, you know that you just had to resist the man, right? You had to resist just because that's what you were bred to do. That's what you know. You disagree just to disagree. So let me ask a couple of questions. Have you ever discovered something, or you were taught something that was actually right in front of you your whole life, but you just didn't see it? You you hadn't been made aware. So you were kind of a, just a blind follower, so to speak. You just lived your life, and you didn't even know that something existed around you. For example, oxygen, right? You, you maybe don't know until somebody says, oh, this thing that you're breathing. Now you're aware. Maybe you start hyperventilating. Oh, man, I need that stuff. But you notice when it's gone, right? You, you notice when it's gone. Or think of an innocence of a child. You know, the life is, is just kind of whatever they see, whatever's in the moment. I love sitting down with little kids and saying, tell me about your day. And they'll see a bird and they'll say, bird? You know, you, you say, well, what did you do today? And the, whatever they see is their story. It's just precious. It's, it's so cute. And at some point, that innocence, be, they begin to be made aware of life around them. And what seemed so pure and innocent, all of a sudden they have a different viewpoint and a a different picture of of things. Think about love. Maybe some of you have uh, one of those love stories where you were just totally oblivious. It was right in front of you the whole time. Could have smacked you in your face and you wouldn't have even seen it and somebody had to say, dude, you better respond or somebody else is. You're all of a sudden made aware that there's this world, there's this opportunity, there's something in front of you, and you didn't even know until it was explained to you, which is really the definition of ignorance. You don't know what you don't know. And so often in our lives, we go through life fairly oblivious to things around us until we are made aware. It's kind of like going to someone's home and admiring all the work that they've done. And, and once you've done work yourself, you begin to admire things differently. And uh, when people used to come to my home and I, I had done some work, and like, oh, that's really great. My first inclination was to, to say, well, let me show you what, all my mess-ups. And then, instead of seeing the, the project and, and the work that I had done, now I'm going to show, well, it's really not that nice. Look at all my mistakes. Yeah, look at the trim. Yeah, that was a terrible cut. There's no way that that matched up. Oh, this is where I didn't even make the sheetrock hit, so I had to mud like crazy to cover up everything, right? Oh, remember when I tried to do knockdown on my ceiling? That was a nightmare. Let me show you the spot where I was learning. All of a sudden now they're aware of something that they never would have even known. Maybe some of you have done this yourselves. I don't know. This happens when it comes to the awareness of the spiritual. This happens in the area of spiritual warfare. It's kind of like, well, areas of concerns that maybe we struggle with and maybe we're trying to deal with. You know, a lot of times in our lives, we look at the physical first. We start Googling things. We start looking at what potentially is our problem before we would even potentially look to think that there could be something spiritual going on. When talking about uh, demonic meddling, there seems to be two different kinds of people, and C.S. Lewis describes it in the Screwtape Letters. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They, he's referring to the devils, themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialistic or a magician with the same delight. What C.S. Lewis is describing is that the devils, as he calls them, rejoice in people who are totally oblivious. He rejoices in people who are totally unaware that there is another world that is trying to blind us, that is trying to lead us astray, that are trying to damage how we view ourselves as being created in the image of God. And we will live under the rule of the prince of darkness because we have not recognized and accepted the promises of God that greater is he in you than he that is in the world. And so, he, if we're going to use C.S. Lewis's words of the devils, to be ignorant. But then there's the second side, is what he describes as, and he calls those who have an excessive or healthy interest in them. He says, uh, this is equally as bad. Why? Well, they can become useless and unaware of the actual reality around them. That God created a natural world where things happen. And that then everything turns into A demonic fight, and then people view them as crazy. (laughs) We know a few, right? So all of a sudden now we've got two sides, and and what C.S. Lewis is saying is that the devil likes them both, likes both opposing Views. So instead of being led by the Spirit of God and being able to distinguish, which is one of the gifts of the Spirit, distinguish between spirits, these people make Satan appear much more powerful than he actually is. And here's what we know. We know that, that Satan is a liar. We know that he is a deceiver. If you remove those two modes of warfare, he is essentially powerless, In The Bondage Breaker, Dr. Neil T. Anderson writes, the power of Christ is in truth and the power of Satan is in the lie. John 8.32 writes, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Today, we are not talking about demonic possession. We are talking about spiritual warfare and how it can influence our minds without even noticing. Now, I'm going to give you a couple examples here. First, in Matthew 8:28 uh, through 34, we see uh, this picture of the uh, two demonic men. And Jesus gets off the boat, and he is, these men that are demonized run to him, and they're like, what are you going to do? Are you going to torture us? And he, he mutes them, because it wasn't his time to be uh, fully uh, known as the Messiah yet. He was still, it wasn't that time and he ends up casting out all of these demons into a herd of pigs. The pigs go crazy, and then they go drown themselves in the water. The city got so scared of what happened, they said, please leave, we're not, we're not ready for you, get out of here. And so what happens with this story is that I think, in people that I've had conversations with, they start going, oh, I don't like talking about this, it makes me feel weird, I don't, I don't, this makes me feel uncomfortable, I don't want to talk about it. They immediately, when you start talking about the spiritual and spiritual warfare, they go to that they go to that picture right away but let me bring you to maybe a little bit more gentler story in scripture but one that i think that we deal with a whole lot more often i want you to think of the disciple peter peter was probably the oldest disciple he had kids he was a fisherman he was gruff he was straightforward he put his foot in his mouth all the time. I like this guy. I do. I, I really, I really like him. And, and honestly, I think we, we, he had pretty rough language. He was a fisherman. You know, the dude was, he was just kind of a, a, a man's man, you know. And there is this um, situation where Jesus looks at, at him and he says, "'Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat.'" And then Jesus said, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, I just want to, just as a side note, as an encouragement, Jesus was interceding for Peter. Satan asked permission to to be able to sift him, to be able to examine him, to be able to push on him, to be able to push his faith, just like Job, where Satan said, I bet if I wrecked Job that he wouldn't serve you anymore. And God had so much confidence in Job, he said, go ahead, give him a try. And in this situation, Peter is being pushed, and Jesus is interceding for him. Friends, in Romans 8, we are told that Jesus is ever on the right hand of the Father interceding for you. That should be an encouragement. Consider this. Peter, the rock, he is now tempted. He's being messed with. He's being strained. And Peter even knew it. It shouldn't have come to any surprise to him. He should have been ready. He should have had his spiritual armor on, like some of you learned in Sunday school. He should have looked apart. I'm ready. And yet, he still denied Jesus. I don't know about you, but I can relate with this. Throughout my life, there have been times in my marriage, there have been times in my own mind and my own thought patterns and places of work that something was, was happening and, and things would, would, were going on in my life and I just, it just didn't seem right. And unfortunately, sometimes I was going through these things without even recognizing they were spiritual. And, and I think that so often when we think of spiritual warfare, we are looking at the extremes of, of this demonic um, possession, but we're missing it, that many of us are being examined like Peter. We're being strained, and we haven't even acknowledged that there is something spiritual happening. And so we bring the tools of this world that aren't even the right weapons which makes us totally powerless. It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight or a VW Jetta to a classic car show. It's the wrong tool, friends. You kind of wonder if that's what we look like if we are actually being tormented and it is spiritual. Like, what is he doing? Psychology isn't going to work for this. Medication isn't going to work for this. I'm not saying medication isn't good. I I fully approve medication when medication is needed. In the same way, I believe many of us are unaware that we are actually under attack. And so we suffer instead of living in the freedom that God had intended. For those who believe that if you are a believer, therefore you cannot be bothered by any kind of demonic influence. Well, we just talked about Peter. He walked closer to Jesus than any of us. Jesus himself was tormented in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed and he interceded, and he asked his disciples to pray for him as well. Back in 1984, good year, some of you are alive. Terminator came out. Really good year. Years after it was eh. But this idea was that robots began to take over the world like that would ever happen. <laughs> right, that won't happen. Please somebody confirm with me. <laughs> the the whole idea of the story was that these robots were they were taken over by the resistance, that there was this John Connor guy that led this resistance against the robots. And so what they did for the last-ditch effort was to go back into time and to, if they could eliminate his mother, Sarah Connor, then the resistance would never happen and the robots would win. I want us to picture ourselves as part of a resistance To start thinking of ourselves as part of something, part of a group or a team of people that are doing something that is literally so important that it can change the trajectory and the lives of people which influence a city, which influence nations, and especially for how connected we are today. I mean, you think of the family that, that our church supported to help after... Um, the, the their mother died in in Africa we were able we took an offering and it was this powerful powerful expression of the church in generosity helping a family and in this church yesterday if you didn't know we had i don't know how it was between 2 and 300 people in this place from all over the world and the gospel went forth in the generosity of the Liberian community and the the generosity of A church like us that barely knew most of the family extended love and graciousness and mercy because we're a generous people. We can literally change people, city, even nations. Some of you were a part of that, people who came and served, and I just want to thank you for what you did. We are to resist. We are to oppose. We are to fight. And we could talk more about the importance of resisting sin because that's when we talk about resisting, that's usually where we go to. We go to the things that maybe we struggle with. But I want to direct us a little bit more on the spiritual side, Ephesians 6, 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The apostle Paul tells us not to be outwit by Satan because we are not unaware of his tactics. He also tells us that we are to wear spiritual armor that protects us, from the schemes of the devil, that there are plans, there are tactics to derail you, to derail myself, and to, to get us away from the understanding of who God is. I have often asked myself, in, in, when I'm preparing and when I'm, I'm thinking about our church, I'm thinking, what do I personally need? What does my family need? What does our church need? What do Christians as, as a whole need? Now, needs obviously vary, but I, as I've been looking and, and planning into 2019, I keep coming back to this to this area of spiritual warfare, of thinking, are we ready? Are we, are we aware? Are we prepared as, as we look at, at the gospel of Jesus Christ? And as we come in, into December, and we start looking at, at his birth and, and remembering what he did, and as we start coming to a new year, are we ready? Are our spiritual eyes open that there is an enemy of our souls. James 4, uh, starting at verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There, there is. It didn't say resist this sin. It says resist the devil. So it could be a sin, but it could be many other things that are being tossed your way. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. As you resist the devil, you are going near to God. You cannot just resist the devil and go nowhere. There has to be a plan. You're going to be near something. And what are you going to be near to? Are you going to be near to righteousness? Or are you going to be near or as close to the world as possible? Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Resisting the devil is us recognizing the ways that he comes after us, the way he lies to us, the ways he manipulates us. Now, in in Romans 7, when you read this, you, you feel like you're kind of going into a depressive loop. But I have found this um, maybe dark time of Paul one of the most encouraging readings in my entire life, especially my younger life. It sounds almost like a a little bit of a a tongue twister. Romans 7, certainly verse 14. I might not read the whole thing, Sheila, but I'll just go for a little bit. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good as it is. I no longer, I myself, who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's laws. This is so important, verse 22. For my inner being, he's crying out for my inner, this is what I want. God, I desperately want you. But I see another law at work in me. It's waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. And then he says, and this sounds so similar to what Isaiah said that I read earlier. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. I have had so much hope from this, because I remember as a teenager, and I don't want to claim that as a, a teenager, I was totally immersed in my Bible. I tried, there were times that I, I did okay, and I wasn't a fast reader, so it was kind of difficult for me. But I remember as, as a young kid when I first read that, I was like, finally, I can relate with somebody in the Bible. This made so much sense to me. But what made me so mad is I never heard anybody talk about it. How is it that the thing that I relate with the most? This this guy who wrote so much of our New Testament theology, potentially one of the brightest minds that we've ever been blessed with reading, is at this crazy place in his life. And it doesn't say what he's dealing with and what it pertains with, but whatever it was, I relate with this. And And I remember for years just sitting in church and and every, like they would glorify King David, which he was amazing, but they would never talk about his failings. I identified with his failings. And it was never discussed, it was never even talked about. And here, Paul gives us, I believe, one of the, the most generous gifts that God allowed in Scripture for us today. Because then we can look and go, okay, I can, I'm doing okay. I, I, can, I can keep going now. I, this, it's okay. Paul at the, is at the same point that many of us have been, or maybe we are right now. Spiritual warfare is understanding that there is sin working against us, and we must resist. By resisting, by resisting Satan, we are coming closer to God. And I want to encourage you, if you're able, you're kind of looking at this temptation thing, and you're struggling and struggling and struggling, a lot of times we're looking at our problem instead of looking towards the author of our faith. And so we're struggling, we're struggling, and we're maybe trying to resist. It says that we are supposed to go to God. Resist Satan. Okay? Look towards God. If you're in college or maybe high school, maybe this scripture is exactly what you needed today. Paul loved God. Paul was devoted to God. He was a spiritual man, hungry for the ways and the things of God. Yet, there was this sin nature that was lurking from the shadows. And he just happened to say it. Well, many of us are thinking it. The sinful man that is directly opposed to the Spirit of God is working against us. And simply put, we are, again, to resist the devil. And the promise is, if we resist, he will, Satan, will flee. He must flee because God promised that he would. Now, I'm not encouraging us to get weird and wily and overly sensitive because we we read from C.S. Lewis that there are the two sides here. However, it may be really good for some of us to begin to start having some spiritual eyes open to the world around us and what is happening, especially if the spiritual world isn't even on our radar. There were have been times where I knew immediately that something was going on and I called people and I said, I need you to pray. There, there is something spiritually going on here. I don't know what it is. And, and I, embarrassingly enough, there are times that it took me a long time to realize what was going on. And when I realized it, I'm like, How on, I'm a pastor. I should be able to just identify these things. And, and you know what? The devil is a deceiver. And the more that he can lull us into thinking that this is just things I've got to work through, that is working against us as as followers of Jesus Christ. You cannot bring a physical weapon to a spiritual fight, and if you do, you will not be successful. So I believe when it comes to spiritual warfare, there are a few main areas that Satan begins to attack us. And if you're married... I want to let you know that you, um, your marriage, you are going to be under attack. Satan doesn't want you, doesn't want your marriage to be successful, doesn't want your kids and your lives to be successful. If you can derail the, the kids, then he is going to have a much better chance of having them. You need to be praying over your relationships. You need to be praying over the minds and hearts of your children. Two, your identity as, as a child of God will always be attacked. And I, I mean, when, when you're looking through things in scriptures and, and sin, you can always come back to Genesis 1 of us being created in the image of God. And from the very begin, beginning, Satan has wanted to be able to trash our identity. The more that, that he can see us hurt ourselves and do things that harm us is literally uh, us uh, just devaluing ourselves as the image of God. God is truth. Satan is a liar. The Bible tells us that Satan's native language is lies. So when you begin to accept words that he is saying of you, you are beginning to be like your mother Eve who listened in the garden and said, oh, he doesn't want you to eat that tree because he doesn't want you to be like him. You are beginning to believe lies about the character of God and who he is. She believed Satan. Now, I can't speak for you, but I can speak from my own personal experiences, and many times it has taken me a while to recognize it, but I want you just to start being sensitive and saying, Lord, Is there something else at work here? Some of you know on on Christmas morning, it was 9 a.m. and um, we were going to North Dakota and one of the wildest days of of my life and my daughter and I are having a blast. We're we're driving um, on 94. We're going towards Fargo. And um, I I was on Instagram and my, my little dachshund was on my lap and she's got diabetes now, so I just want you guys to be aware. So, I don't talk about my dog very much, but she's really cute. So anyway, that's a whole other story. But anyway, I'm Instagramming my little dachshund, and my daughter was driving, and she leaned her hand over to pet the dog, and in so doing, she mistakenly pulled over um, on the left side of the wheel. Our wheel went over um, the side of the road, and she tried to correct it. She overcorrected it, and... We shot across the highway, we rolled multiple times, flipped the car, bounced over a barbed wire fence and ended up in the field and, and um, it was devastating, devastating. Our dog was thrown out the window, we didn't find her for hours, she ended up running back home somehow on 94, <laughs> some interstate police found her miles down the road. My daughter and I are trying to get out of the car, trying to make sense. My glasses. My, I made some amazing cheesecakes. That's what was most disappoint- disappointing. My Christmas cheesecakes, my gluten-free cheesecakes were all over the black field. <sighs> Isn't that funny, the things that stick out to you when something like that happens? And, you know, my family, the rest of my family is about an hour and a half behind, and and I just think of the graciousness of the Lord because there's no way my family would have survived that. There's no way. My daughter and I came out. Um, I had a scratch on my knuckle, so every once in a while I'd just go like this to her. I'd point to my knuckle, and she'd go, stop it, Dad. You know. And then she had a bruise on her arm because I had to step on her to get out of the top of the car. <laughs> I caused it. Now, we looked at, at this situation Christmas morning, it could have been a totally different Christmas for my entire family, even for you as a church. And this situation, we had had seen some other things happening in our family, but it was really a wake-up call. Now, I'm not saying that this was spiritual, but let me tell you something, is that we had been going through things, we had been praying, and when things like that, they definitely wake you up they definitely go, Lord, is there something else going on, something at work that Satan doesn't want us to do, that's trying to derail our lives, that's trying to make us anxious to to even get into a car again? I was worried about that. We prayed over our daughter, and even she doesn't maybe know that some of the prayers that we were praying over her, so she wouldn't be fearful to get into a car again. We need to be aware, friends. We need not to be ignorant that there is a world that Satan wants to keep us blinded to and that we desperately need to be aware of. I think of, you know, the the animal kingdom and and, uh, if you're like me on Netflix, there's just this incredible, there's just these incredible documentaries of of what's, you know, (laughs) there was one um, in Africa, I almost cried when I, began to watch some of the videos and, and how well it's done, and we're seeing what God created up close, and it's just it's spectacular. But what animals do when they're trying to get their prey is they start to isolate them. They begin to push the herd, push the herd, push the herd until the weak ones start falling behind, and then they start to isolate the weak ones. And I believe the reality of that is, is simply the same with Christians, is that We began to separate, we began to separate, we began to separate. And all of a sudden, the the church and the people and the friends that we were once close with, all of a sudden, we're out here. Now we're isolated and now we're vulnerable. The church had been put together for a purpose and God knows it. And we are not to isolate ourselves. John 1, and I'm going to just kind of talk about some tools here. And I believe this to be one of the most important areas when looking at, when you are feeling like maybe there's something else spiritual going on. And that's in, in John 1. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. When you expose lies, you are shedding light. I, I, I cannot overemphasize this enough for you today. When you are dealing with stuff in your mind and in your heart, it needs to be exposed. You need to have somebody that you can talk to about this because the moment that you do, something breaks. I, there have been so many times that I've, I've said to my, to my wife, I said, something's going on and I, I don't know, can we pray about this? And it just breaks because I've, I've exposed it and there have been times where I kept it hidden and I just dealt with it and dealt with it and then I, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse until I exposed it to the light. Friends, do you have somebody? Do you have somebody to be able to talk with and to be able to to shed light into situations so the bondage and the hold can be broken in your life? So if you're looking for a practical tool, confession. Confession and prayer. It's not easy, especially in our culture today. We like to look like we have everything together, don't we? We don't like to share vulnerable things with one another. It is so important. So what now? We resist. Resist. We need to recognize and we need to pray for one another. We need to expose the working of the enemy. And if you are having negative thought patterns or you've seen a lot of crazy things around you, uh, maybe with your family, you need to pray. Ask people to pray. This is, we have a uh, you know, prayer at lifeassembly.org. Email us. It goes to people in our church. It goes to our leadership. It goes to people who are, love to pray and be able to come together. So this is going to sound a little bit like some churchy words here. And for some of you who maybe weren't raised in church, you're going to go, what on earth are some of these words? But maybe you'll hear these thrown around. You might hear pleading the blood of Jesus. A lot of times when there are situations, people will plead the blood of Jesus because we are told that as that blood ran down the cross, that he was bruised and he was broken for our healing and for our sins. And we we pray and we say, Lord, would you cover the situation in your blood? Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. And would you cover the situation, Heavenly Father? A lot of times you'll hear people rebuking Satan. Rebuking Satan. In other words, Lord, we are rebuking the work of of the devil, Lord, and we are accepting your promises and your life and your truth. When it comes to confession, are you holding on to bitterness instead of forgiveness? Are you dabbling in areas of spiritual influence that you were never meant to dabble in? Are you prideful instead of walking in humility? Would you please stand? I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 6, and I referenced it as the Sunday school thing of, you know, the armor of God. But I think that when we walk out today, I think that instead of hearing what I have to say about it, I think we should hear how God says that we need to be prepared for this. Okay? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the devil or the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then All kinds of prayers and requests or petitions with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Church, I do not want Life Assembly to be ignorant. I do not want us to be a church that goes through the motions of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can say what we're supposed to say and come and lift up our hands and worship all while we're walking in spiritual warfare and we don't even recognize it. Now, some of you, I know you are prayer warriors, you're interceders, you know this stuff. But I believe there are many of us in here going, man, I think, I think I'm struggling here and, Maybe this is spiritual and it's not as much physical as I thought. So what we're going to do is we're just going to take some time and I want to invite you up if you need prayer, if you just want to come stand at the altar and just say, Lord, is there something else going on here that I should be praying about? Over and over again, what, what I presented to you today through the scripture is that we are to pray on all occasions. Jesus prayed for himself. He asked his disciples to pray for him. He prayed for Peter. Are we praying for one another, friends? Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that our eyes would be open, Lord, to to a world that that it is way more comfortable to be ignorant to. Lord, you you, you shared in uh, 2 Corinthians that that there is a veil that, that covers so many eyes, Lord Jesus, with the reading uh, of the Torah. You, you say that there, there's a veil over the eyes of, of people. And Lord, that veil needs to be torn. And Lord, I just ask that you begin to reveal to us in real, uh, practical ways how we can begin to pray over things, Lord Jesus, for our church family, for each other, and for our own families, Lord. And Lord, I, as a pastor of this church, Lord, I, I rebuke the devourer on the behalf of our people. Heavenly Father, I just I pray that, that your spirit, Lord Jesus, will be close to our people, Heavenly Father, that, that you will protect our people, that your angels keep, keep watch over our people, Lord. I pray, Lord, for power to resist Satan and come near to you, Heavenly Father. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.